0: Hello and welcome to one on one. I'm Christopher Gallagher. For episode two of the series, I had the absolute pleasure to speak to football coach and Celtic fan Jonathan Burns. Jonathan is a coach with a wealth of knowledge. Having spent seven years working in the Celtic Youth Academy, he moved stateside and is currently the lead coach at Charlotte Independence Pro Academy. I talked to Jonathan about his coaching journey, Celtic of course, and a whole host of other things. Please enjoy. Joining me now is US-based football coach, currently the lead coach at Charlotte Independence Pro Academy, and executive director at North American Scottish Coaches Association, a former Celtic Youth Academy coach, it's Jonathan Burns. Hello, Jonathan, how are you?
1: Doing really well, mate. How are you? Not too
0: bad. Is is it Jonathan or is it Johnny? Is Johnny to your pals?
1: It's it's mostly Johnny, mate. I've been called worse, uh, (laughs) whatever you go with, so it doesn't really matter.
0: Uh, Great to have you on board, sir. Um... How is life in Charlotte, North Carolina?
1: Good, mate. Yeah, good. I um actually only moved to Charlotte in July. Um I was six and a half years in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, down in Florida. So I came to Charlotte in July to take up a role within their pro academy. Um and I love it, mate. I love it. Charlotte's uh it's a great city. Um North Carolina has the seasons, so you get a, a little bit of a break from that that Florida heat, which is nice. Um, and yeah, mate, just very, very lucky. The, the players that we, we work with are um, of a very good level. Um, it's a club that, that tries to do the right things. So yeah, very, very happy mate, with the move and, and, and delighted with where I am.
0: Great stuff. See, see, in general, see from a, a coaching point of view, when you kind of take up a new job, do you often, and this is something I was just thinking about, do you ever, you know, your, your coaching players, do you think, do you ever compare them to the, the level at Scotland, like the comparative level? Is that something that happens naturally or maybe doesn't come into your head at all?
1: I, I mean, I, I think it's unfair yeah. to, to compare the level, you know, because when you're when you're at Celtic, you're, you're blessed to be working at not only one of the biggest Football clubs in uh, the world, but you're also working with the best players in Scotland. Yeah. Um, we had kids coming from as far as Dundee um, to come and train at Battlefield. You know, so uh, I think with with America, the one thing that you understand as soon as you land here is the country is so big, um, and there are so many options for players and so many different sports yeah. that it can be very, very difficult. To, to probably get the best athletes involved in football. Um because they may be going to baseball or basketball or, or whatever the case may be. So I try not to because the level at Celtic is is outstanding and, and and that's you know down to a lot of brilliant coaches that have worked there over the years that have built um a culture there of what they expect and, and standards they expect. Um but what I will say is, is I think people from the outside, often look at America and I think the standard is poor and I would also disagree with that. Um, but I, I think there is a, a really good standard of play in America. I think it's different traits. I think even if you look at America's national team, particularly in the England game, I think you look at players that are athletic, can get around the pitch, um, you know, can do everything at a pretty good level maybe, lack a little bit in the final third, but yeah, they're, they're hard working and I would certainly say that about pretty much every team that you would play at a good level in the States, you know.
0: Do you, do you think that, obviously, you mentioned like baseball and, and basketball and, and other sports in America is very culturally based around sports, whereas... Obviously, there's lots of other sports in Scotland, but it really is when you're in football, you seem to be in football. If you know what I mean. Do you think the fact that there are other sports that some players get different attributes that can help them with their football career?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that, I would say that multi multi sport athletes. Um, it, it's, it's a difficult one. actually having a conversation about this. Um, a couple of weeks ago a, as a staff and, and I think what you could do is, is you could take a player that's that's played football um, put them into basketball a couple of years later and because of the coordination with their feet they would be uh, yeah. uh, kind of like a duck to water. you know, it would help them I, I don't know if, if things like baseball and stuff like that would help going the other way Yeah. Um, now that being said, I, I, I think I, I read that football is the highest played youth sport in America now. Wow. Um, so I, I think there is a tendency where a lot of people are starting off in, in, in football. Um, and then as the years go by, there's, there's maybe a branch out, you know, to go and play with their school, at basketball or baseball or whatever the case may be. Um, but, but I think multi-sport athletes, I mean, I, I think that's important up to a certain age. I, I do think there comes an age where there has to be a focus. I don't think you can be 17 and and playing football and then on the side playing baseball when you can as well you know so I think up to a certain point multi-sports is good um, where the kind of you know development cut off for that would be I'm, I'm not too sure brighter minds than me would probably need to point that out but um, I, I do think it's a, a positive thing for, for kids in America to have that option you know
0: See, in regards to you know, you were at uh, you're director of coaching at Florida uh, Celtic Soccer Club, uh, and now you're a, a lead coach at Charlotte Independence Pro Academy. What are the kind of differences in, in the job on a day to day basis? What are, what are could you describe both and kind of let us know what that's like?
1: Yeah, so a, a director of coaching, you're pretty much responsible for for everything. Um, you're, you're responsible for everything at the club. Um, and and that's not just in a football sense. That is also in the sense of budgets for the club, um, salaries, what what people are paid, um, all, all that kind of thing. And to to be honest with you, Chris, I, th- I think what happened was when I got the job, I even felt at the time I was too young for that kind of job. Yeah. Um, but but there was an enticement, obviously, to to experience a different country, to experience a different environment. And and that was an attraction. Um, What I would say is, is I think my mind always was set on, but I want to be a coach first and foremost, and, and I want to be as good a coach as I can be. So I need to return to an environment where I'm around top players that have an expectation that things are going to be good and they're going to challenge you and they're going to question you. And I, I wanted to, to get back to that. Um, And when I heard the role at Charlotte Independence was going to come up, you know, it was it was something where you had to go, you had to interview for it, you know, you had to go and do your field sessions and stuff like that. Um, But, but I just kind of had a feeling right away, even during the interview process, taking the kind of session with the, the 17s it was at the time, I just felt like I that this is probably more in keeping with what I want to do, you know. So yeah. in short, the the difference is now I work solely on the football um and, and my job is with the players and, and developing the players hopefully and and, and, and that's that's the role and, and the director of coaching role is um you're responsible for the club as a whole. So you're not only responsible for you as a coach. You're responsible for maybe 40 odd coaches that work for you. Yeah. Um, which, as you can imagine, brings its own uh, issues with it.
0: Um, see, I mean, obviously, on The Cynic, we do a lot of kind of, we kind of break different things down, different structures in regards to kind of how kind of clubs kind of perform and stuff. We've talked numerous times about Ange Postacoglu and the type of manager he is and the, that kind of background. Do you think Celtic as as a football club will eventually go to a sort of director of football role? Is that something you can see in the future, or the sort of kind of all encompassing coach being the kind of head? Is that
1: what's your thoughts? Um, I think it's a, I think for every kind of scenario that there's an argument against it. Um, I, I think most people after Lennon were saying director of football, director of football, um, and then Ange Cogley comes in, and now nobody's interested in the director of football anymore. So, yeah. I, I think on one hand, um, if if the manager is of real top quality, which Ange obviously is,
0: yeah.
1: I, I don't think there's a need for it because I think the manager just has such a a, a real vision. Of where he wants the club to go and what he expects, it's um, certain, you know, I, I think at certain clubs you see it a lot in the Premier League clubs where there's maybe director of footballs or whatever the case may be, um, and I think that's maybe just more of a business strategy. To be honest with you, I think it's a blanket between the board and, and, and the manager, yeah, um, and, and somebody that kind of ultimately deals with the the, the budgets. I, I think. I don't know if you've seen the Arsenal documentary. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. And I think I, I think that's a good example, right? The director of football is more just kind of in there talking about, right? How do we get rid of him? Are, are we legally allowed to do this and all that kind of stuff? You yeah. know, um, I, I think that for Celtic, I think Celtic's modernised probably twenty years in the last two. You know, because Ange just came in, redeveloped what he expects in terms of the scouting department, redeveloped in terms of the B team and how they operate. So I don't know if there's a need for it, but I think if you're bringing in a manager who's not as experienced but is maybe a very good coach, maybe then you you need somebody that's able to kind of offer a a different perspective. But I think it's Celtic just now. I personally don't know if there's a need for a direct to the football.
0: Yeah, I think sort of when we're winning, when we're successful, I think, you know, people put all that stuff to the back of their head and then when there's any sort of bump in the road, it's kind of quickly brought up, you know. Um see yourself, can you can you talk us through kind of what your sort of day to day or week to week kind of what your processes are and how you do your work?
1: Yeah, so um with regards to us, um we will be for instance, we we play this week um, down in South Carolina, uh, so the boys will be will be in the hotel for that. Um, so so basically, we're in on Monday. Um, depending on what we've done at the weekend, Monday will either be um, a recovery session, um, or it, it could be slightly higher load in terms of of what we do. Just depending on how the weekend looked. Yeah. Um, The Tuesday, the the boys will do a session where they will start off with the sports performance group. So they work with the sports scientists, do their testing, update all their testing. um, And then we'll normally do 45 minutes on the pitch. Um, That particular night, we we normally go with with a kind of game-related practice. So for instance, last night, we done three sets of nine minutes with different conditions. So for instance, one of the conditions was Bad foot football. The players are only allowed to pass or shoot with a weaker foot. Brilliant. Um, so th- that would be our our Tuesday. Um, Wednesday will be our highest load session, um, just because it's, it's obviously the furthest after the recovery and, and the furthest before the game.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Thursday will be off completely, and Friday will normally be a match prep session, so that will either be set pieces, um, or if we're, we're looking at the opposition and we think we maybe need to adapt how we press or whatever the case may be, um, we would reiterate that and work on that on the Friday.
0: That is just really so, so very interesting. Um, so in regards to how, when, when, you know, you set up and stuff and what I always think is, you know, Ange talks about it and kind of managers talk about it in, in general, like, you've mentioned kind of recovery sessions and stuff and how you know furthest away from the next game and that's i think so interesting do you when is it you kind of give the tactical kind of breakdowns is it a case of you give them kind of pre-season this is how we're going to play this is what we're going to do and then it kind of you filter that through throughout or are there times when you kind of have to kind of actively say here's a refresh of what we're planning to do
1: yeah, I think it's one of those ones, Chris, where like in, in coaching, I think the best coaches are the ones that invest their time where they need to invest their time, right? So that, so they're not getting carried away on things that they maybe don't feel is really important for the way in which they want to play. So what I would say is at Charlotte Independence, we have principles of play. Um, we don't, we don't go too much on the side of every team has to play four three three, or There's none of that. Right, But we do have principles of play and the principles of play are, are what we reinforce in, in every session. Um, so, for instance, in the transition, you know, our first thought is to always play forward. Um, so so we hammer that. You know, if, if there's a, a moment in the game where we, we turn over possession and we choose to play back to centre-back, why are we making that decision? So then your coaching point becomes: you need to coach the player on the ball, the actual initial decision, but also the players that are around the ball. You know, if he feels he has to play back, that's due to a reflection of: are we doing enough ahead of the ball to make ourselves an option? Right. Um, in terms of, you know, the defensive aspect. You know, we're, we're big on, you know, pressing. Okay, but but pressing is. You know, you could say a hey, eleven guys at the pub going and press, and, and and they would all give it a good go. So, so we need to speak a little bit about the areas of the pitch where we want to get them into. Yeah. Once they're in there, how we keep it in there, and then obviously a structure behind the press as well. So, if they do manage to break that, how do we keep a structure so that we're organised and and we're not allowing anything that's that's silly? Um. So, the the tactical the tactical piece. Um. I would say I don't get too hung up on. Um, I, I don't really think it's massively important whether you're playing a four-two-three-one or a four-one-four-one. I think there has to be flexibility with when, whatever shape you're playing. Yeah, uh, but your principles have to be the same, right? So it, it can't be right because we're playing a three-five-two. Uh, our principles then become. When we get the ball, we're, we're looking to keep it and, and and play possession based. That's that's never going to work. So our message is just the same. Um, our principles must remain uh, consistent. Um, and with every shape, there's there's flexibility within it.
0: Fantastic. Um, you've you've coached in Scotland. You've coached in America. What do you think the two biggest differences are? Loaded
1: question. <laughs> I, I. I mean the biggest differences. Um, so I, I was very, very lucky, Chris, because my exposure to youth football in Scotland is of an elite level. Yeah. Um, so I, I was able to kind of go in at Celtic and, 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 and shadow guys like Martin Miller and, and, and guys who were probably you not know, just the best in Scotland. Martin Miller was probably the best. Youth coach in Europe for for the ages that he took. Um, when when I talk about the biggest differences, I, I think that the, the, there's there's cultural differences here. I don't think players really en mass watch the game. Yeah, you know, I I don't know how many players would sit and watch a a Champions League game. You know, but if the American football was on. Everybody are watching. Yeah. Everybody. So you're playing catch up because it's it's popular in terms of participation. I don't know if it's popular yet in terms of people actually sitting watching the game. Yeah. Um, in terms of one of the biggest differences is we played Inverness once a year in Inverness. It was a four hour drive to get up there on a bus. We will play in Baltimore. Three weekends in a row in January, February, and it's six hours one way. Um, so the size of the country um gives a totally different aspect and a totally different perception to what travel is. Yeah. Um, I was I was speaking to um Tommy Wilson, who was it? He was head of. Uh, he was head of youth at Rangers for, for years and, and, and head of coach development at the SFA. He has a map. He's, he's currently at Philadelphia Union. And he has a map of MLS teams and in, in their distance of travel. And he's basically transferred it to Europe like, where they would go for games. And it's it's absolutely wild. You yeah. know, it's wild. Places like Uzbekistan and all that. Like it's, it, it, it gets into the ridiculous, you know, but it really kind of... It really hits home that that totally changes as well what you can do with the players Yeah, right? so the players are coming off of a game and then an eight hour plane journey home so that probably wipes out two days <laughs> of your week you yeah. know so I, I would say those two things I, I would say culturally it, it's they're still a little bit behind in terms of, of people watching the game and watching the sport and I would say the other side of it is as well is it the distances they have to travel and what's expected of of youth players in America is a different world to to, to Scotland and England? Yeah,
0: um, my my friend, uh, one of the contributors, Brian McManus, he is a coach at St Cadoc's and he asked me to ask you: Does American coaches, colleges, schools focus on strength and conditioning in younger athletes as opposed to skill development?
1: Um, no no, I mean the the game the game in America I would say is very athletic so I I would say when you're watching good level teams whether it's MLS level or or ECNL level here I I would say athleticism is is something that you come across quite often Um, and and I think that's just part of the modern game anyway Chris now that you've got to be an athlete you know what I mean like I don't think you can get somebody that's eighteen stone and, and and has a great left foot and he'll get away with it. I just I think the game's past that now, um, but but I still think, Chris, at least for Charlotte Independence, we do have demands that you, you've got to be able to play. It's it's not enough just to be able to run, you know. It's it's not enough just to be able to be able to keep up or your recovery's good or whatever the case may be. I think the skill development piece is you're looking for the total footballer, you know, schools and things like that in terms of their recruitment. It would be odd. It would be odd that a school would come to you and say, can you give us his sports science results? Um, However, the flip side of that would be if they're maybe on the fence about a player and they have a question about, well, we watched him and he looked as if he was lethargic I would then probably go in and pull out his stats. Um, so I would say to them, well, look, you're saying he looks lethargic, but he ran 11 mile. Yeah. You know, so is there a problem with athleticism? Probably not because he's up there covering the ground he needs to do and, you know, that's part of his game and he does it week on week. So I think recruitment is is, is one of the toughest things about about the college game um because your job hinges on it but I, I do think now it's it's even expanded more I, I do think that bigger clubs like ourselves can help in terms of the players recruitment because we have so much information and video and everything else to back it up you know
0: yeah see um i was just the football coaches do they take other influences from like other sports in america with the would they see kind of techniques and stuff? Because obviously as you mentioned, the kind of all kind of sporting kind of aspect, would do they borrow techniques from each other? Um It may be a no. I don't know. <laughs> I just start I,
1: I think it's I, I mean I like I like reading about, about other about other coaches and other sports. Yeah. Um I think the one thing that remains consistent is probably like the the man management piece. Right? So if somebody's not playing and getting across that message is to to why you're not playing in a positive way, but making sure that you don't lose them, yeah. you know. Um, in terms of the techniques, again, another consistency may be with the kind of sports science part of it. Um, you know, for instance, like after match day, how the recovery is and, you know, I, I think over the years, r- rugby's always been a bit more... Um, Rugby's always been a bit more advanced in terms of its use of sports science. I think you see probably quite a lot of football clubs now picking up techniques from there. Yeah. Um, as for the actual sport, I mean, it's, it's it's different, I would say, right? Because everybody's opinion as coaches or, or organisations are, are completely different from the other. So I think there's massive consistencies that you can take. I don't know if it's necessarily... You know, totally relatable to each sport as the actual action. You know,
0: yeah. Who is your biggest uh, coach and influences?
1: I would say, for me, um, I, th- I think I think, Mar- I think Martin Miller for watching him with younger players. And I don't think you realise it at the time. I think it's only years later when you're away from it and you think, my God, he was just incredible. Because yeah. um, cause Martin, Martin built a, a culture at Celtic where not only did we have really, really good players, but there, there was just it made total sense in terms of what he was delivering for those ages and what the expectancy was and, and what the why was behind it. Yeah. Um, Greg Robertson, Greg Robertson, who's actually in Boston now. Um, he was the under 18s manager at Celtic. Greg was, is, sorry, <laughs> was, Greg is um, outstanding. And, Very, very good coach in terms of his message and his detail, but his enthusiasm on the pitch. And I I honestly think, like watching, in my opinion, the best coaches, it's it's just it's all about delivery. You know what I mean? Like me and you could deliver the same session, but because your enthusiasm and you know being on the pitch is is so much more than me, people might look at it and say, "God, that was completely different." Yeah. So I, I think that. In terms of that, those two guys were probably my exposure to to Celtic at first, um, and and I think looking at them, I, I always look back and think that I those two guys were probably the best that I'd seen on the grass, um, and and like I say, I was very I was very lucky because I seen them very early on, you know, so they were. Um, two top top coaches and two top guys as well.
0: Did you take like a, did you have like a, a book or did you kind of write down things that you saw that you could kind of deliver? I know Scott Brown's talked about recently about, you know, taking notes about, you know, working with with different coaches. Is that something you've done yourself to kind of develop your own style?
1: Yeah, I mean I was I was lucky. I, I, I spent a few days I spent a few days with Davy Moyes when he was at Everton. Sweet. Um a few days with Mick McCarthy when he was at Wolves. Um Managed to get into Brendan Rogers when he was at Celtic, um, so I, th- I think I think in terms, of Chris as well. Like it, it's it's difficult because when you go and watch these guys, Brendan Rogers is out there Celtic in the Champions League, working with international level players. There's a lot that you probably can't touch on with. You nineteen youth players, yeah, you know, yeah. but again, that there's certain things about whether it be that their setup or, or how they force a certain situation in the game that they want to see, or a certain condition, or uh, I think stuff like that. You, you always look, and you know, I would say it's probably more the actual coaching technique than it is the the session itself. You know, because, like I say, Brendan Brendan Rogers is obviously an outstanding coach. Obviously. Um, but I think the other side of it is as well, you know, when you're looking at him, are you able to kind of look at a youth side and say, right guys, i seen Brendan Rodgers do this and we're going to copy this and, and, and go... You know, word for word, and it, because then you're you're not really being yourself either. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So I think it's I think it's a delicate balance. I, I think that good coaches are normally good uh, thieves, Um but I think it's it's probably more techniques than it is actually trying to copy somebody. You know?
0: Yeah. Uh, you're the executive, one of the executive directors at the North American Scottish Coaches Association. I think that's a really kind of interesting uh, association. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: yeah um so it was started by a guy called eric McAleer um and eric's um uh a president or a vice president i'm not too sure but he's he's at a big company called world Strides, um which basically do like sports touring events um and eric started the, the north american scottish coaches and they phoned me one day and just asked, you know, you know, look, would you get involved? Um and it's it's completely voluntary, Chris. So so what we basically done was um during COVID, we we set up Zoom calls every week with, with different coaches. So we had Walter Smith, we had Gordon Strachan, we had Darren O'Day, um Owen Coyle. Um, and 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 every week we we had somebody on and they spent a couple of hours and it was brilliant because it gave people something to look forward to and it gave people something to do. Yeah. Um Then we um we we have a con- there's a convention every year um by United Soccer Coaches and it's the biggest uh, football convention in the world. Um, and this year it's based in Philadelphia, so this year we have an event philadelphia union are going to host it for us sweet but we have have greg robertson we have jack ross and we have tommy wilson who are basically going to do like a coach education day oh brilliant and it's, it's basically just all scottish coaches that are based across north america are welcome um there's there's no fee there's none of that it's just really coach education events that we that we put on and run and you know People can kind of join or, or not join at their leisure. You know, it's it's completely up to them. But that's effectively what it is, Chris. It's like a little a little community that we we try and keep going, and hopefully, off the back end, it'll maybe help people one day with with jobs or whatever the case may be. You know, so that that was the thought process behind it. It's
0: a great it's a great idea, great network to kind of. Uh... You know, just network. I guess with with all the different coaches. See, in in regards to obviously you've kind of went through the the SFA sort of coaching uh, trajectory. It's the Scottish kind of coaching system is still really, really revered in that regard. Why do you think that is?
1: They just have really good people working within it. Um, I, I think that you know, even even looking back to. Even looking back to when I kinda of done the B, um, you know you know, you guys like Jack Ross that were that were there, um you had you know, Dougie Wilson, you had Richie Wilson, it, it's um it, it it's guys that are, are very, very good at getting across what you have to do and, and, and they want to help you. Yeah. Um, which is, it sounds daft, right? Because it, it, on a, you know well, you're a tutor on a coaching course, but, y- you know, they, they really do want you to pass and, and they really do want to help you. Now, that being said, you, you've got to earn it. You know what I mean? So if you go on, you're doing your assessment, you have a beast, you're, you're not going to, you know, they're not just going to pass you for the sake of it. So I think that they try and make you become a better coach, they I think they do put on probably the harder of the courses as well. Um and and I think I think that really holds them in good stead. Um yeah, yeah I, I I think as well I got that in it. was Dougie Anderson because if I called him Doogie Wilson, I think he would punch me in the face with so Doogie Anderson. <laughs> um, but yeah. It, that, that's why. That, that's why. Because they they run a really good course. Their content's really good, and they have good people that are there. Yeah.
0: the 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 UEFA B license was that really kind of all encompassing? Really, you'd really had to kind of get right involved in that. What did you make of it?
1: Um, I think well, the B license is 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 basic. So I mean, that's what it stands for. It's, it's UEFA B, UEFA Basic License, right? So all encompassing. Um, I I think it touches on 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 every aspect that you need to understand as a coach. Yeah, I think it's a grounding for the A license, which I'll you know I, I'm on back on in February um, do, doing the A. So I think it's I think basically what it does, Chris, is each license should give you a layer of detail that that you maybe didn't have before. Yeah. So are you gonna make wholesale changes to the way you coach? No, but maybe now you're thinking a little bit about do you know what we played yesterday We're training the night this these players played over seventy minutes right we We can't do this, so we we've got to maybe look at this area size or you know we've got to make it bigger we've got to make it smaller. There's then things like that that, that you're taking on board and, and starting to understand a little bit more. Um, you know, like, like I say, the, the content is good, but it's it's just really, it's really just preparing you for for when you go to that A, which will be far more difficult. Yeah. Because the, the A license is, is is all singing, all dancing. Right? So the A license is, well, I mean, you, you can work with a first team at that point. Yeah. So, that's going to be um, a lot more detail orientated, and it's going to be a lot more difficult because you're not going to get away with certain things because you've already been on the B, you know.
0: Yeah, um, are, you, are you looking to do the A to potentially take that step to the kind of first team?
1: Um, I don't, I don't. You know, it's it's weird, just because like I think when you're young, really young. You're like, oh, God, it'd be it'd be great to be a first team manager, and then I, you you get your thirties and you're like, fuck, I, I don't know if I want to be a first. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think that um, I want to work with the highest level player that I can. Um, I think that's the same for every coach. Um, where that is and and what that looks like, you don't you know you don't know. But I would say that getting the A. Is, is more about just being the best me that I can be. You know, I, I feel as if just the, the minimum you can be for, for any coach is is to be educated. And I actually remember Brendan Rodger saying that. Um, he goes like that, you know, the, the absolute minimum that you can do is making sure that you have the correct badges and the correct education to, to go for certain jobs. And I, I think just now, I'm unbelievably happy with where I am and, and, and the environment that I'm working in. Um, you know, like like I say, if that if one day you know your path takes you to a first team, amazing, amazing. You know, that's that's the dream for every coach. But um, I I, I think for me, really, it's just about you know getting the badges and and making sure I'm being the best coach for the players. You know, yeah. um. I don't want to kind of get stagnant, if that makes sense.
0: Um, are you surprised that someone like John Kennedy hasn't kind of maybe taken that step or is he doing exactly what he wants to do? Because there's been obviously been a lot of debate about, you know, his, his experience and,
1: you know, when jobs come up, he's always linked. Are you kind of surprised? Uh, I don't, I mean... John was another one, right, when Lennon was kind of in the process of leaving. I think everybody wanted John's gut for garters and and I think poor Gavin Strachan was ready to get that laptop over his head, wasn't he? (laughs) So, football's a funny, it's a funny thing, Chris, because people talk about John Kennedy and and revere him very highly and I think Celtic are, are lucky to have him. Um. Will he go one day? I'm positive that he will. Yeah. But I think he's exposure. I think he knows just now that your exposure to different coaches, I mean, look at it. He's, he's had Neil Lennon. He's had Ange Postacoglu. He's had Brendan Rogers, He did Ronnie Dahlia. The guys worked with amazing coaches. Yeah. Um, and when he does go, whoever he will go to will be getting a top, top coach. I don't know about the management side of it because, he, he, you know, he's he's never done it. So it's it's like Michael Beal, you know, it's impossible to say if somebody's going to be a good manager, but from a coaching point of view, John's clearly very good. And he will go one day. Um, but what I will say is his, his educational background at Celtic is just unbelievable, second to none.
0: Yeah. um obviously you were at the 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 celtic academy what was it what was it like working for celtic
1: I amazing mean, i mean amazing i think for for celtic um you know it it was slightly different for for me chris because um i was in at celtic and and i loved it but i was i was very aware that that I was lucky enough to get that opportunity because of 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 who my dad was to the club and and, and I think that it gave me a, a great background to to go in and you know learn little pieces here and there um but but I was always cognizant as well of the fact that I did want to go somewhere and just be judged for, for being me yeah. um, and, and, and being in an environment where you're, you're not viewed as well, that's Tam Burns' boy whatever, you know what I mean and, and, and like I say I'm, I'm so thankful to Celtic and you know because it's my life wouldn't be where it is just now without them and what they gave me um, but, but I think working for Celtic was was a, I mean, an incredible honour. Um, but I think as well, you look at it and you are like, "Hey, right, I've, I've got to, I've got to go somewhere else and, and experience something different and, and, and try and be, um, try and be judged good or bad for for what you can do." Yeah. Um, so, it's w- when you are at that club, Chris, and you are working with the best players, with the best staff. Um, Maybe not so much the best facilities, right enough because it was Barrafield at the time, and it was it was always an event leaving there on a Friday night. But it's it's an incredible it's an incredible place, Um, and and one of those places that you're you're buzzing every training session and every game because you're just like, I can't wait to watch these wee guys play. You know, Mm. Uh, unbelievable. So um i what I ground in it was and like i say i'm I'm so appreciative of of chris McCart and, and all those guys for for what they gave me you know
0: yeah, see obviously um these players you, i I often think sometimes we discuss, again something we discuss quite a bit um the expectation of a young Celtic player coming through, do you think there's maybe an expectation? as soon as a player gets a first-team appearance, whether it be, you know, just a one-off, if you look at someone like Jeremy Frimpong comes in and rips it up and, you know, he's away 18 months later, someone like Stephen Welsh who's kind of built himself up, do you think sometimes there's too much of an expectation on these players to be instantly good by the support?
1: Yes. I think that the Celtic support can be very harsh. Um... I think everybody, every supporter, every coach, every player, I think everybody understands how difficult it can be playing for Celtic where a draw is the absolute end of the world and that never mind a defeat. Um, And I think there's guys that the Celtic support take to and I think there's guys that they don't. Um, why do why, why, why you think that is? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Like people like slaughter James Forrest and I'm just like, I don't understand. I can't get that logic. No. Um, but they just don't, don't like McGeary. You know, McGeary was a high, just fine, you know, no end product. And, <sighs> and, and I, I honestly, I don't know Chris and any guys like Tierney yeah. who, who they, they just love. Um,
0: Is it a positional thing? Because the other guy, like you've mentioned... James Forrest, Jim Bagg who we all adore, uh, who probably doesn't get the respect he deserves. Ada McGady, one of my favourite players of all time, absolutely adore him as well. A guy Mm. I really like is Mikey Johnson who I mean you're talking about wingers as much as anything. Do you think there is a thing with people who have to produce something?
1: Aye. Yeah. I would say so. I think if you are I think if you were a youth team striker coming through yeah, the pressure would be unbearable at Celtic yeah. <laughs> because you, you're expected to score goals at Celtic. And I think players in that area of the pitch where, you, you know, for instance, Aidan McGeady, Aidan was a better player than a was by, by a distance. But at the time, it's like McGeady's no good this, he's no good that. He, you know, poor James Forrest, it, you know, James is probably going to retire from Celtic, being the most successful Celtic player ever. And you know we look at him and he's he talks gets, he gets abuse. And I, honestly, I don't know. I, I think you're I think you're maybe onto something there, Chris. I think positionally, yeah, I think the. But then again, you look at Welsh. He's the same. Stephen Welsh gets a hard time. You know, and it's I don't know. I just I think I think it's really difficult. You need to be a certain type of personality because yeah. you know I'm sure guys like Nigidi and Forrest knew or know you know that there's a very split opinion of them as footballers for whatever reason, um, but they were able to ride it out for years and, and carry that pressure and and go and score goals for Celtic, win trophies for Celtic, and I just I think that in 10 years, we'll look back and go out oh, of forest, you know, legend. Absolutely. But now, it's just one of the things.
0: See, someone like, obviously you worked with Stephen Welsh, um, do you think he'll be disappointed that Jens is getting game time ahead of him? And I know it obviously comes down to Ange Postacoglu and what he sees in training, but from a fan's point of view, I, I would be picking Welsh ahead of Jens.
1: I think I think it. I think what people don't see is like how much it will mean to Stephen Welsh and his family to be at Celtic. Yeah. No, oh, the the, the Foucault bridge. You know, Welshy was. I even remember him as a eleven and twelve year old and trained as if his life depended on it and launched himself into tackles and he was always that kind of boy and. I think that you need luck as well Chris you know I, I think if you've got everybody fully fit at Celtic it's always going to be difficult for youth players always going to be difficult um, you know Callum McGregor was probably one poor loan spell away from maybe being moved on Yeah, but when North County done amazingly well got an opportunity, grabbed it with both hands, you know, and I think when Welsh's came in, he said some, listen like every younger player, you know, he said some really good moments and he said moments that you would look on and say, he's got to learn from that. But that's just the thing, like, I, if there was one wish that I would have, it would be like that. He's still, he's still got to learn. That, you know, he's not a finished product. He's got to get a run of games and make mistakes and unfortunately, like Celtic, you just, you're not allowed many mistakes to make, but I think that there has to be a bigger patience with with players that come through to see what they could be, um, rather than what they are on their debut. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Do you think the what, what's your kind of thoughts on the the B team playing in the Highland League? Do you think that's a benefit, or you know, there's you know, there's I've seen positive kind of arguments for it. I've seen kind of negative arguments. You you know yourself. What's your kind of take?
1: Um, I think that's the biggest problem just now in Scotland is that layer between the 19s and the first team. Yeah. Um, how how they deal with it, I don't know, but I I think they should go back to I think they should go back to the old reserve league. Um. The Highland League is is got a lot of good players, um, a lot of good coaches involved in it and, and it'll give them something different. You know, playing on a playing on a Tuesday night, um, in our broth against, you know, guys that were done a shift that day and are looking to come in and and kick them up and down the pitch. So there is a layer of development there that will give them something completely different. From the level of football that they're expected to play, I don't think it gives them enough exposure to that. I don't think it gives them enough exposure to other elite footballers. Um, And that's not being disrespectful to to Demdi that that plays in that league, because like I say, there's a lot of good players. But there's a lot of good players that are maybe coming towards the end of their career or, you know, maybe dropped out of the leagues for whatever reason because they wanted to go and work and, and that's situational. But for guys that are expected the Celtic, the, the academy motto is to develop a Champions League play. Mm. So, you no know, develop somebody that won the Scottish League, somebody that's going to go and impact Champions League games. I think the only way you can do that is is try and get them exposure to other elite level youth players Um, and that's just, listen, I'm I'm sure that that people will will disagree and and say that it's a great grounding and that's 100%, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, I'm just saying that I think that that's the biggest problem just now in Scottish football Um, and how you fix it, I don't know but I think you need exposure to higher level games more often.
0: Yeah. See, obviously from your point of view, when you're at the academy, what sort of age would you be looking for the player to be breaking into the first team or at least being recognized by the manager that they potentially could?
1: I I think that you you would see signs within the academy that the the first team like them, you know, because when they're short of a player or two, like those recovery sessions that we are speaking about, it would be natural that Ange would probably say to Darren O'Day or, or Steve McManus, right, who, who who are you thinking? I like him. Okay, get him in. And, and you know, like guys like Kieran Tierney, that's where they got very lucky, you know, because Ronnie Dahlia asked for a body, Kieran Tierney would set it up, loved him. I was your uncle. Um, aye, so, I think that, um, Ages is ages is hard, but honestly, ages. It would be difficult to put a number on it. But what I would say is, is that if you are, if you're 21 at Celtic and you've never been around the first team, it become it becomes hard at that point. You know, it becomes hard to see a true long term path. So, especially because the type of club Celtic are. I mean, Celtic don't really look to buy players anymore that are under twenty five. Yeah, you know they're probably looking to sell them by the time they're twenty six, twenty seven. You know, try and get that money back into the budget. So, I think there's a shelf life, definitely, but it's hard to say a, a certain number. I just think that you know you would see signs. The signs would be that you're involved in the first team training when you can. Um, you know, guys like Rocco Vata, for example, who's obviously part of the B team set up just now, but Rocco's obviously the one just now that's got the fans talking, a little bit of excitement because he's got a goal in him and he's got a bit of magic in him. Um, But, but Rocco's been involved with the first team trip to Australia and yeah. you know what I mean, so maybe signs there that you're starting to look at him and say he's got a wee bit, you know
0: That's something, yeah, absolutely Um Have you enjoyed the Ange revolution? Obviously we've been kind of uh, all dominant domestically some struggles, European wise are you happy with how everything's going?
1: I think I think that I think it's just been unbelievable for Celtic I really do, I think that um I don't. I don't think that there's any other manager that could have came into Celtic and done what Ange has done. Yeah. Um, and I was like everybody else when it got announced. I was like, oh, "What are we? What are we talking about here? <laughs> what What is going on?" Because um, Eddie Howe is, is obviously a top a top manager as well. Um, you can see what he's doing at Newcastle. He's obviously a top top manager. But I mean, Ange is. Is single-handedly went in and and just dragged the club up to closer to where it needs to be. And the European side of it is always going to be difficult because Ange, Brendan Rodgers, world-class managers—they're not going to change. They're, they're not going to change. Whether it's Real Madrid or it's you know, Berik Rangers, you're playing—they're going to play the exact same way. Yeah. So you know the, the only thing that you can hope for is that you're there for long enough to buy or develop players to have a greater understanding of your principles of play and what you want to do and and hopefully that'll lead to success. But I'm I'm all for it. I, I would I would much rather watch Celtic lose three 0 to Real Madrid and go and have a right goal than sit in with ten players behind the ball and get beat one 0 Yeah. You know, so I just think that's the Celtic way: go, entertain, try and play. If you get beat at that level, you get beat at that level. But um, I would, I would hate to see Celtic just kind of wave a white flag and sit. in. that would, that that would sicken me. I just, I don't think that's Celtic at all. I think Celtic are there to entertain, and they're known for a certain brand. And that's why Ange thinks it's perfect. I think it's a perfect job for Ange because it's a club that expects the way he wants to play. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what's your any kind of take on Alistair Johnson is he going to be a, a good player for us
1: uh, Alistair Johnson I think I think in terms of like players that are going to be like the aforementioned player not to put pressure on him um, <laughs> Rocco, if you were to kind of pinpoint players that were coming up, because Celt- what you don't realise as well, or a lot of people maybe don't realise, is there's so many players that have left Celtic. Chris, it, it, like Josh Adam, who's at Man City. Yeah. Barry Hepburn, who's at Bayern Munich. Liam Morrison, who's at Bayern Munich. There's so many players that have left Celtic. They went to world-class clubs. And that's just the nature of the beast now, the way it is with agents and everything else. That's that's just it. Um, <clears throat> for, for players that I would look at and say, well, oh, my God, he's got a bit. Ben Summers. Um, ben Summers could be unbelievable. He, he could play centre-mid for Celtic, I think. Oh. He has everything. Um, Rocco Vata. Rocco. I mean, I probably left Celtic when Rocco was about eleven, but I worked with Rocco for a couple of years, and his dad, obviously, um, his dad obviously was there. His mum and Francis, but Rocco, even at nine years of age, Chris could do things that you're just like, what? <laughs> yes. How? How is that? And you look at him now. He's just that type of player. I think that he's going to be one of those ones where fans will look at him and be like, "Oh God, end product and all that." But my God, like for, for talking about moments of magic, yeah, he could he could provide some unbelievable moments even as a kid, you know. So I'd be excited to see him, but. um Guy, it, it, you, you've got to keep them, that, that's the hard part, guys like Ben Doak and 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 those players that we spoke about they could all play for Celtic but you've got to keep them, that's the hardest part just now for, for Celtic I think
0: uh, It would be remiss of me not to mention your, your father, uh, one of my heroes, one of the greatest ever Celtic managers, greatest ever players, adore him um, went to see the Tommy Byrne story with my father it was a fantastic evening Um has he been a big influence in your career in regard to your coaching kind of philosophy?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think a hundred percent. But I would say I would say more. Chris, uh, looking at him, with more kind of humanistic qualities that you you, you would try and take. Um, I think when you look at him in the way. You know, ex-players and things like that speak about him. I don't think it's necessarily speaking about him as the way people would speak about Guardiola, whether like, oh God, on the pitch he was this and he was that and he was a genius. But I think again he had that enthusiasm for the game, he had that enthusiasm for people, he knew people, he knew how to handle them. Um and, and I think the aspects like that are are so so important if you you want to be a decent coach, because um, there's a there's a lot of great coaches out there who have great content, but they're maybe just not people. You know, they they, they don't know people, and I think if you don't know that aspect of it, you'll you'll you, you'll really struggle. So, when I look at him and and saw him with players or, or saw him on the training pitch, the biggest thing that I would look at and, and try and replicate, um, I, I would try and replicate. His his manner with with players and people, um, and, and that would be the biggest influence that way in, in terms of coaching. Because I couldn't tell you one session or one drill. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you, but I could tell you that um, he had he had a way he had a way with players where he could make them feel like the best player in the world, but he could also he could also cut them into. Yeah, you know, and he was very good at that. So, that if I was trying to replicate something of his, I think it would be that.
0: Um, I have to say that you know, even all the success and the trophies and and all that, <clears throat> I as a forty-year-old man, I'll always go back to the ninety-five, ninety-six season, and I still think it's my favourite of our Celtic season, even though we just fell short. But your father was uh, incredible, and um, yeah. Um, Jonathan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, I've learned personally a lot about coaching and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon.
1: Chris, thanks very much, mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers, mate.